genuinely tried I'm, tr- I'm trying to work every week to make it less and less fucking weird i mean that's not gonna happen though because it's us unfortunately it's us. <laughs> so hey hi hello everyone we hope you're having a good day and a good week and a good if this is your first time listening to the show then we welcome you in welcome welcome we're happy to have you and we're sorry and we're also sorry. <laughs> we apologize every single time because we're weird. But I do not want to keep you all waiting. We are in the midst of spooky season, yes. which means there needs to be some spook delivered. Exactly. So before we continue with everything, there are a few very important announcements and things that I want to talk about before we deliver said spook. Oh, well, I'm ready. Lay it on me, big dog. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There are some super cool and super spooky things just to brewing. So the first thing that I want to say is just a really big thank you to our listeners. We say it all the time, you know, how much we appreciate every single one of you. But I just wanted to take a moment to really reiterate that because uh, my birthday was last week. Ray and I talked about some of our birthday adventures on the Bloody Mary episode, but there were several of you that reached out to the pod just to tell me happy birthday. It was so sweet. Like, honestly, it meant the world to me. I just thought it was the sweetest thing. So I just really wanted to say thank you for that. Our favorite part of this show is hearing from and interacting with you guys. This podcast would be nothing without you. Absolutely nothing. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. I just wanted to start this whole thing with a big thank you and just, you know, telling each of you how awesome you are and how much we appreciate your kindness and your support. Like, telling me happy birthday honestly made me melt into a puddle of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) The Gore family is the best. And will continue to be the best. The next thing, talking about spilling some beans. Oh, Lord. Uh, You guys more than likely have already seen this on our Instagram and our Facebook pages, but I actually wanted to announce this on air for those of you that listen that maybe don't follow us on social media. But for Halloween this year, we are giving you guys a super awesome bonus episode. And not only are we giving you a bonus episode, but it's also going to be our very first collaboration with another podcast. Yay! And I'm so excited. So, we're going to be having our good friends, Savannah and Alicia, from the Burden of Proof podcast as guests on our show. Yes. Yes, that is freaking awesome. We know you've heard us talk about their podcast. I absolutely love their show. So, we connected with one another and we came up with this cool idea to kind of, you know, Halloween collab for you guys. It's going to be great. And as it turns out, they also wanted Ray and I to be guests on their show, which fucking wild, like wild. Wild. I am fangirling 
I cannot believe that so many people can tolerate us. It's just crazy. <laughs> it is absolutely crazy. <laughs> so let me kind of explain how everything's going to go down. There are going to be two bonus episodes in total, one here on Gore Report and one over on Burden of Proof. Both of these episodes are going to be released on October 31st. Yes. Halloween. Yes. Me, Ray, Alicia, and Savannah are all going to be present in both episodes. But as far as the storytelling goes, we decided to swap hosts, basically. It's going to be so great. It's going to be so much fun. Here on our pod, I'm going to be telling you guys about the famed Bell Witch Haunting. And Savannah will be telling you guys about the Demon House of Gary, Indiana. Um, oh, I'm not looking forward to that one. <laughs> super, super spooky. So it's going to be two stories in one episode. Ray and Alicia will be here tagging along. They'll be commenting and giving feedback. You know, we're all just going to hang out, deliver some spooks. And then over on the Burden of Proof podcast, Savannah and myself will be present, but Ray and Alicia will be the ones telling stories. Alicia will be talking about the man who killed Halloween, or as he's most commonly known as, the real-life Candyman. Oh, man. Super spooky. And our good old Ray will be over there representing, and she's going to be talking about the legend of the black-eyed children. Yeah. So, yeah, we are super excited for this collab. We hope you guys are ready to embrace all of the Halloween vibes with us. It's just going to be a really spooky time. And speaking about spooks, the Black Eyed Children case, like, really messed me up. Like, really, really messed me up. It's so creepy. All of the topics that we have picked, I think, are going to be perfect. It's just Supreme Spook. Is that Supreme with the stuffed crust? Yes. I expect stuffed crust. It definitely is Spook stuffed crust. Oh, nice. Like, 100%. So... Yep, we're having that collab. It's going to be super great. Again, both episodes are going to air on Halloween, so be sure to check out both of them. Listen to ours here, and then you can go over to Burden of Proof to listen to the other one. So, yeah. Yeah. Super awesome. And this next part is my last announcement for today. I promise after this we're going to dive straight into the episode, but this is important. After Halloween, Ray and I are taking two and a half weeks off. From the pod. We have a best friend Cation planned. We're getting out of town for a bit. Just us and our fur babies. It's going to be really nice and a much needed mental reset. For sure. <laughs> so we wanted to let you guys know that in advance. So you're going to have this episode today, which is the 19th, and we will have another episode for you next Thursday on the 26th. And then five days after that, you will be getting the two Halloween bonus episodes. So we will be gone from November 1st to the 16th, the 16th being a Thursday. So that means that our next episode after Halloween will air on November 23rd. And then after that point, we will be back resuming our weekly upload schedule. It's going to be amazing. I'm really excited, too. I'm definitely going to miss the pod for, what is it, two and a half, three weeks. I'm, I'm definitely going to miss it. But I'm so excited to get out of town. Just, you know, change of scenery. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, and we've been going nonstop for how many weeks? I mean, it, it, it's, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. We, we definitely have been consistent. Yeah, we haven't taken any time off. And, you know, just to be able to leave Georgia for a little bit, 
it's going to be nice. It's going to be nice. Again, just a much needed change of scenery. So that's just something that we didn't want to drop last minute. We thought we'd let you guys know a little bit in advance so you know what to expect. And now that we've gotten through all of the important non-spooky stuff. Oh, no. We can now get into my episode. Today, I thought it would be super cool if we could talk about the most widely known and feared form of cardboard. I know what you're talking about. It starts with Ouija and ends with boards. (laughs) That's right. Today, I wanted to talk about Ouija boards, or spirit boards, as they're also called. Ouija boards have been terrifying people since the late 1800s, but the concept of death and communicating with the deceased has been terrifying people for much longer. We see Ouija boards all the time in the modern world, and it's safe to say that they've become a major horror cinema trope over the years. Right. For sure. One of the most famed horror movies in the entire world, and also my personal favorite, The Exorcist, which is based off a novel by William Peter Blatty and directed by William Friedkin. Classic. Yes. It depicts the use of the Ouija board as the cause of Reagan's demonic possession. And this is but one example of the Ouija board being portrayed as an instrument of diabolical evil in horror movies. (laughs) You also have Veronica and Ouija Origins of Evil as well. These movies all tell similar stories with the common denominator being a Ouija board. But where did this concept come from? Where did the Ouija board itself even come from? That's what I want to talk about today. Thanks, Hasbro. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So to begin understanding where the spirit board originated, it's important that we understand something in history called the spiritualism movement. It was through this movement that the Ouija board was born. (laughs) Spiritualism defines a set of beliefs and practices that revolve around communication with the dead as well as working with the dead for positive impact and reform. A desire for comfort and answers was also sought after by grieving people who had lost their loved ones, and this was also a driving force for spiritualism. Right. The spiritualism movement was also a movement rooted in political progression. Spiritualists were made up of feminists, suffragettes, anarchists, and abolitionists alike. The spiritualism movement brought forth an emergence of activism, and it also paved the steps for change. The beginning phases of the spiritualism movement can be traced back to 1848 with the story of the famed Fox sisters, and we're going to talk about them here in just a second. But 1848 was also the year that the first women's rights convention was held in the U.S. This convention took place at the Wesleyan Chapel in Seneca Falls, New York, and it lasted for two days. July 19th and 20th of 1848. So this gives you an idea of what this movement stood for outside of just, you know, talking with the dead and all the spooky stuff. It's actually pretty awesome. So going back to the Fox sisters, let me tell you a bit about who they were and how they were responsible for the birth of spiritualism. Oh. The story begins in 1848 at a farmhouse in Hydesville, New York. This is where 14-year-old Margareta, or Maggie, Fox and her 11-year-old sister Kate Fox lived with their parents. For some time, the Fox family experienced some strange occurrences in their home. Every night around bedtime, the farmhouse was plagued by loud knocking noises that seemingly came out of nowhere. Believing it was a spirit of some sort, Maggie and Kate began communicating with it. They'd ask, quote, if you're an injured spirit, manifest it by three raps, end quote, which raps is what they called the knocking noises. Yeah. 
And when they asked this question, they received three raps. So it seemed that the spirit possessed sentience and it was communicating directly with Maggie and Kate. The Fox sisters even named this spirit Mr. Splitfoot. (laughs) And any time they would ask for a specific number of raps, they received them every time. Oh, that's weird. On one day in March of 1848, Maggie and Kate told the story of their spooky happenings to one of their neighbors, who was very skeptical of the whole thing. So Maggie and Kate invited her over for a demonstration. Kate and Maggie huddled together on their bed while their neighbor sat in a chair. When everyone was seated, Maggie's and Kate's mother, Margaret, began the demonstration. She asked for three raps, and then 15, and then 30. And each time, the house shook with the spirit's response. For each time a specific number of raps was asked for, they were provided immediately. If it was me on the other side in the afterlife, I would be so irritated. <laughs> right? I could only imagine. Imagine only if you imagine. were a ghost and you just hit your elbow on the wall and someone's going, oh my God, you're communicating with me. <laughs> you know? It's like... There's a whole nother side to it. Bitch, I hit my funny bone. Leave me alone. So the demonstration obviously scared the shit out of their neighbor. And after that instance... The news of two girls who could communicate with the dead spread far and wide. It didn't take very long for Maggie and Kate to become local celebrities, basically. Everyone was both fascinated and terrified of the possibility that these two children could actually be communing with the deceased. The press went wild. Kate's and Maggie's parents, John and Margaret Fox, sent the both of them to live with their older sister Leah in Rochester, New York, in hopes of shielding them from the press frenzy. And this might have been the end of the story completely, but as fate would have it, Rochester, New York just happened to be a hotspot for religious activity and progressive politics. So much so that the rumors of Kate and Maggie Fox already reached Rochester before the girls even arrived there. Oh, man. People were even starting to refer to Maggie and Kate as mediums. Uh, There was also a rumor surrounding the Fox's haunted farmhouse. Uh, It was claimed that it was haunted by the spirit of a peddler named Charles Rosna, who had been murdered and buried underneath the house. So not Splitfoot? Well, they called this peddler or spirit Mr. Splitfoot. Mm. Yes, that's what they named the spirit, but this spirit was believed to be Charles Rosna. Mm. So a group of people from Rochester went to this farmhouse and they investigated the cellar. And this is where they found a bone fragment that appeared to have hair still attached to it. It's a little creepy. And evidently, a doctor confirmed that this bone fragment was a piece from a human skull. So it was like a piece of human remains. Oh, shit. So continuing on after that, the story of the Fox sisters continued to spread. And eventually, it caught the attention of Isaac and Amy Post, who were both radical Hicksite Quakers from Rochester. They were both seen as early leaders in the 19th century abolitionist and women's rights movements. When Isaac and Amy heard of these two young girls who could speak to spirits, they immediately were interested and they wanted to see for themselves. So they invited the Fox sisters to their home to have a seance. And this seance gave birth to the first handful of believers in spiritualism. Isaac and Amy were very impressed by the authenticity of events, and they went on to introduce the Fox sisters to all of their progressive friends. And this whole movement started taking shape. So in this time period... 
People were really searching for a more positive outlook on life and death. They were wanting to break away from what they'd been taught, and they wanted to find a better way to handle the darker aspects of life. And spiritualism provided that. Yeah. So Kate and Maggie started holding nightly seances in a hotel room in Rochester, and these seances could have up to 30 participants. Kate and Maggie charged $1 admission fees for each person, and they took off like they made a killing doing this. It's crazy. Oh, wow. So Kate and Maggie were known as renowned mediums at this point, and eventually they took their services on the road, traveling to different parts of the state to perform seances. Right. They were very, very successful for many years doing this. As I said, they made a killing. Like, you have to think, $1 admission per person, there can be up to 30 people, and you're doing this all the time. I mean, that's a lot of money back then. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But even though Maggie and Kate were successful for many years, Maggie Fox came forward in 1888, and she told the New York world that the whole thing was a hoax. Oh. She confided that her and her sister produced the popping and knocking noises by cracking their toe joints or finger joints. What? (laughs) It's crazy. What the fuck? (laughs) And even though Maggie admitted this as a hoax, it somehow didn't damage the credibility of the spiritualism movement. It actually continued to grow in popularity as the years passed. Oh, wow. Even long after Mary and Kate Fox died in the early 1890s, this shit just continued to spread like people had accepted it and ran with it. And there was just no stopping it at this point, really. (laughs) It was like ye old ghost Avengers. Ye old ghost Avengers, right. Yeah. So also during all of this, uh, we have to keep in mind that the Civil War was happening too. It lasted from 1861 to 1865. Right. And with the Civil War came a slew of death and destruction. With soldiers going away from home and dying on the battlefield in great numbers, this left many families in a state of despair and grieving. And this only added to the spiritualism movement. People were really holding on to this belief that they could talk to their loved ones even after they had passed, you know, and all of this plays a very crucial part in things. During the Civil War is when the concept of a talking board really took off. That's what they called it back then? Yes. A talking board. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, okay. So as I've said, spiritualism revolved around communicating with the dead and more times than not, there would be the aid of a medium, either a person or through other forms such as automatic writing or psychography, Mm -hmm. which is a widely known method of spirit communication that has history dating back thousands of years. Automatic writing, for those of you that don't know, it's when a medium holds a quill or some other writing utensil and they place their hand on paper and going into like a trance-like state, the medium allows a spirit to control their hand, thus writing out messages on paper. Right. And the Ouija board kind of goes hand in hand with this. Uh, something cool that I learned, the planchette piece of the board was actually used originally for automatic writing. It was called planchette writing. So in the picture that I saw, I thought it was really cool. I'll leave this in the photo dump so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. But the planchette writing piece, it was like a heart-shaped piece of wood Mm -hmm. shaped like a planchette, obviously. And it had two wheels on the back with like a mechanism to hold a quill or a pencil or whatever you're writing with. Uh So you would place your hand on it 
And if the spirit took hold of you, you would basically move it around on the wheels. And as it moved, it would write. Oh, well, yeah. That's kind of weird. It's kind of cool, though. I just, I like, mean, cool, I totally, yes. I totally didn't even know that was a thing. But yeah, planchette. Yeah, writing. I had no clue. The first records of a spirit board being used dates back to 1886. They were originally, as I said earlier, called talking boards, and they were being used in various spiritualist camps throughout Ohio. It was around that time that the concept of the talking board became known to three businessmen from Baltimore, Maryland. Their names were Elijah Bond, Ernest Reich, I think I'm saying that right, and Charles Kennard. When they caught wind of this board that could supposedly connect to the other side, they saw an opportunity to capitalize on it, and it led them to create their own version. A talking board, or a Ouija board, whatever we want to call it, it's a piece of flat board labeled with the entire alphabet and numbers 0 through 9, along with yes and no in each corner. The word goodbye was always at the bottom of the board, and it was completed with the planchette piece. The board was presented as a simple parlor game with the abilities of answering questions regarding the past, present, and future with astonishing accuracy. It was in May of 1890 that the official patent for the talking board was granted to Elijah Bond, thus he is the one credited for inventing the board. Although I will say, I don't really think he invented it, obviously. I think he just capitalized on what people were already yeah. doing during this movement. But, you know, when you look it up, how this board came to be, you will see his name and he's given that credit. So, I don't know. Do with that what you will. Uh, but anyways, the modern day Ouija board came to be from that instance. And as far as the name Ouija goes, there's actually some different theories as to how the board got its name. But the most popular story is that Elijah Bond's sister-in-law, a woman named Helen Peters, named the board, or rather, she allowed the board to name itself. Oh. She was known to be a gifted medium, and on one night in April of 1890, during a seance in Baltimore, Helen asked the board specifically what it wanted to be named. The planchette moved across the board spelling out O-U-I-J-A, Ouija. And when Helen asked the board to tell her what that meant exactly, the planchette moved again and it spelt out good luck. Thus, the name Ouija was bestowed upon the board. Helen Peters today is even considered the mother of the Ouija board and she's credited with naming it. Whoa. Which I thought that was crazy as hell too because I did not know that. I really did not know that. In 1891, Charles Kennard, owner of the Kennard Novelty Company, he began manufacturing and selling the Ouija board as, quote, Ouija, the magic game, end quote. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. A game. <laughs> a game. So talking to the dead is a game it's for a you. game. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to be 18 or 21 to buy alcohol and all this other stuff. But you only got to be eight to summon the devil. Right. Exactly. That's where I was going with that. Thank you so much. In 1892, Charles lost his company, and it was taken over by his foreman and furniture polisher, a man named William Fold. And after William took over, he started insisting that it was him who invented the board, and he also claimed that he was the one that named it. Instead of the story of Helen Peters and, you know, the board naming itself, William claimed that the name came from a combination of the French and German words we and jaw, meaning yes. 
you know what? You should pull out the yes board. I feel like I want to talk to my ancestors today. <laughs> it's just something to note. He took over the design, took over manufacturing, and then he just kind of wanted to credit himself with absolutely everything, and that's what he did. And William pretty much skyrocketed the sales of the board, and it reached its peak of popularity in the 1920s, right after World War One. Which, mm. yeah, which took place from 1914 to 1918. Got more people grieving and wanting yes. to talk to their loved ones. Yes. And, and just like the Civil War, World War One also put people face to face with death. It was one of the worst catastrophes humanity had ever endured. Mm. It's estimated that 17 million to 20 million people died during World War One, with an equal number being horribly wounded. The impact that this war had on the world is honestly indescribable. So through those four years that the war was raging on, people were forced to see death daily. I mean, yeah. it was everywhere. So this left thousands of families with the longing to speak to departed husbands, nephews, sons, and brothers. And the Ouija board became the most popular way to do that. So throughout the 1920s and 1930s, the Ouija board became a very normalized thing. A couple using a Ouija board was even pictured on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post on May 1st, 1920. It was like an illustration, basically, and it was just front cover. It's so interesting to see the contrasting difference between today's time and that time where Ouija was so normalized and now it's like it's normalized now but it's like it's also demonized in a really big right, way too though yeah so it's just crazy i mean today you definitely don't see front cover newspapers depicting people using spirit boards as a leisure activity you know what i'm saying and so. if they do <laughs> i ask that i can be volunteer <laughs> right uh, the artist that drew this illustration on that saturday evening post uh his name was norman rockwell and I will include a picture of this in our photo dump if you guys would like to see it. So as the years passed, the sales for the Ouija board were so high that William Fold opened up multiple factories throughout the 1930s and 40s to keep up with the demand. In 1966, William sold the rights of the game to the Parker Brothers. And yeah, and they made millions off of it. Yes. Ouija even outsold Monopoly. Thanks, Hasbro. <laughs> Which is so crazy, <laughs> right? Thanks, Hasbro. On May 7th, 1991, Parker Brothers became Hasbro. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And the Ouija board is still to this day a trademark of Hasbro Incorporated. Over the decades, there have even been separate themes and different designs for the Ouija board that have been released, uh, including a glow-in-the-dark version and even a pink version that's, quote, just for girls. Is that the scent of misogyny that I that I'm picking up? Is that possibly, what is that? Possibly, possibly, like goodness, I don't understand it, but nonetheless, that was definitely a thing. Toys R Us even carried Ouija boards, and they claimed, you know, we were joking earlier about the age <laughs> thing. They claimed it was safe for ages eight and up. Just got to be eight years old, and you can just go right on in that doorway and just go and go and go. <laughs> hey, little eight-year-old, would you like to talk to our Lord and Savior, Pazuzu? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is it, the Zozo demon, where it goes from Z to O to Z to O to Z to O really fast? I believe so, yes. Could you imagine an eight-year-old sitting there with his arm just going, chum, 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 chum? Like freaking out, <laughs> like freaking out. 
And the glow-in-the-dark version. Don't get me started on that. At least we can see in the dark where we yeah. are summoning demons. No more candles. I mean, I think aesthetically that would be very pleasing. Like a glow-in-the-dark Ouija board, I think that would be pretty, honestly. But Only like... if it had like a really cool design. Right, right. So... Now that we've went through how the Ouija board came to be in modern pop culture and kind of how it, you know, became a toy, basically, and all this other shit, it does leave the question, where does the darker side of Ouija come into play? I mean, you know, why are people so afraid of it? Is the Ouija board just a fun and harmless game, or is it something far more sinister? Through the last 150 years, and even longer, maybe, there have been tons of reports of horrible things happening to people after using the board. Things from violent hauntings, poltergeist, and in extreme cases, demonic possession. The most famous case of alleged demonic possession due to a spirit board happened in the late 1940s to a young boy in Maryland. His identity was kept anonymous and he was given the pseudonym of Roland Doe. Roland reportedly started experiencing horrific supernatural torture after he used a Ouija board. It was reported that pieces of furniture would move across the room when Roland was near. Vases and dishes reportedly flew off the cabinets and to the walls. Just all kinds of crazy shit. Wow. The Catholic Church got involved and Roland underwent several exorcisms over a span of a few years. Roland's story is one of the most famed cases of demonic possession ever recorded in American history. In fact, it was Roland's story that inspired William Peter Blatty to write his 1971 novel, The Exorcist. And in 1973, the iconic film of the same name was released. Full circle. Yeah, The Exorcism of Roland Doe is what inspired The Exorcist. That's the story that it's based off of. Wow. Which, honestly, I would love to do a separate episode on this like like, like on a that. like a deep dive i would love to do that so that may be something in the future who knows but roland's story is just one of many when it comes to stories of people claiming that a ouija board just isn't worth the risk and the almost certain and terrible demonic or ghostly possession right many have told of horrible hauntings after using the board with as many varied forms of paranormal phenomenon as you can imagine lingering forever afterwards allegedly in some cases also driving people completely insane like driving them into madness dr carl wickland who was a 20th century swedish american psychiatrist and psychical researcher published a book in 1920 called 30 years among the dead this book is a collection of detailed accounts from patients who were treated for mental health issues by Dr. Wickland using spiritualist methods. Ooh. His wife, Anna, acted as a medium in these treatments. And Dr. Wickland is quoted as saying in this book, quote, The cases of several persons whose seemingly harmless experiences with automatic writing in the Ouija board resulted in such wild insanity that commitment to asylums were necessitated. End quote. Ugh. In March of 2023, there was an instance where 28 girls at a school in Columbia were hospitalized after suffering fainting spells, immense anxiety, and tremors that came on after they all played with a Ouija board at school. Wow. That's something that happened. Another famous haunting that allegedly stemmed from a Ouija board is the case of 18-year-old Estefania Lazaro. Oh, I've heard of her. Yeah, and for those of you uh, that haven't heard of her, uh, it was her story that inspired the 2018 horror film Veronica. In early 1990, 
Estefania was living in Madrid with her parents and her two younger siblings. After using a Ouija board with some of her friends in a field behind their school, Estefania's family described how her behavior drastically changed, and not for the better. Mm. She started having seizures and convulsions, and she would tell her family that she was being stalked by dark shadows that would follow her everywhere she went. Estefania would also fly into fits of aggression where she would scream, bark, growl, and hiss at her siblings. I read in a few of these instances she tried attacking her siblings as well, and all of this was completely out of character for Estefania. Before these sinister happenings started, she was known to be a very kind and sweet girl. She was not known for being aggressive in any way. Like, it just completely flipped her personality. Estefania also had no known medical or psychiatric conditions that would explain the sudden seizures or convulsions either. Mm. So, her family spent over a year trying to get her medical help from various doctors, but no one could come up with a concrete diagnosis, and her symptoms worsened over time. And very sadly, Estefania died within a year after the occurrences started in 1991. And her family claimed to experience very intense and violent supernatural occurrences in the years after her death. And it's like incredibly chilling. This would honestly be another story that I would like to do a deep dive on. Because it's just like that is a very summed up version. But like, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard of her case, and if I'm not mistaken, wasn't there, there was like audio recordings of her during the exorcism. You're thinking of Annalisa. Annalisa, thank you. You're thinking of Annalisa, which that is for sure something that I'm going to cover. That shit truly terrifies me, but yes, that's her story, absolutely. Uh, So going back, these examples are only a few in the sea of stories in which people claim to have their lives destroyed after using the board. Today, the use of the board is considered highly dangerous and evil. Christian denominations especially believe this to be true. Mm -hmm. But then you have other people in the world who think of the board in a totally different light, seeing it as nothing more than a tool that, if not used properly, can cause great harm. And that's how I view it. Right. In the world of the occult, the Ouija board is seen as a powerful object with the ability to open doors to the other side. It's seen as a form of divination, just like scrying or tarot. Right. So whether you're a skeptic or a believer, it's still safe to say that the Ouija board strikes fear into the minds of many. It's been mystifying and terrifying people from all walks of life for many, many years now. And I can say myself that I definitely don't think the board needs to be demonized to the degree that it's been demonized. I also see it as a tool that can either, you know, be helpful or harmful depending on how you use it. Like the way that I look at it, it's like you have a hammer, right? Mm -hmm. And that hammer is a tool with a designated purpose. So if you take the hammer and you go to like hammer your nail in and you don't know how to use that hammer and you just fly off the handle and smash your hand and you hurt yourself... That's not really a matter of the hammer being dangerous, rather not knowing how to use it properly is dangerous. Does that make sense? Yes, and that is true, but also another perspective to add into that, that hammer could also go on to do dangerous things when in the hand of a murderer. Yeah, so... See what I'm saying? Yeah, but it still, it falls into that same category of the person using it and what they do with it. Right. You know what I'm saying? It falls in that same category if you have a hammer and you're not a serial killer <laughs> and, you're, and you're not crazy 
and you know how to hammer nails, then you're not going to have a hard time using that hammer and you know you're not going to get hurt. Your job will be accomplished, et cetera. That's just right. kind of the way I view it. But, you know, I will say, even though I just talked all that mad shit about how I don't think it's inherently dangerous and that I didn't want it to be demonized and that it's just a tool and you should use it correctly, I also want to add that it still scares the fuck out of me. <laughs> Hi. My name's Gage, and I'm advocating for Ouija boards not to be demonized, but rather I'd like them to be understood. And hi, my name's Gage, and I'm also saying that if you pull a Ouija board out around me, I'm going the fuck home. No, ma'am. <laughs> like, that's a wrap? That is just that on bitch, that. Bitch, you said the minute that board comes out that closet. Bye, it's Bye. been fun. Bye, see you soon. Have fun. Enjoy your All Hallows night. I am going home. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so. That's not very, you know, 6'2", covered in tattoos, listens to death metal. Has a true crime podcast of me, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, if you are brave enough and or curious enough to use the Ouija board... There are some rules for you to follow. Rule number one, never play alone. Rule number two, always play sitting in the dark with candlelight. Rule number three, never burn the board. Rule number four, never leave the planchette on the board. Rule number five, never ask the board when you or someone you love will die. And rule number six, at the end of your session... Always be sure to say goodbye. And that will conclude my episode on the planchette panic. The the origins of the Luigi board. <laughs> it's really, really I'm going spooky. home. I'm going home. I'm not even staying the night anymore. Bitch, I'm done. Are you sure? You don't want to play a little bit of Ouija? Okay, I'm staying. Oh, see, you you, you, you already slipped. You caught. Did you not hear what I said like four minutes ago? That shit comes out around me. I'm going home. But you are home. Checkmate, bitch. Oh! <laughs> no. Oh, Ray, my spirit. It's wilting. Also, guys, I do want to mention... Another rule that I heard of, I don't know if anyone else has heard of this, but when you're playing the Ouija board and you have your fingers on the planchette and it starts moving, do not break that connection to the planchette. Right, I've actually heard that too, honestly. Like, yeah, they're... don't pull your hands away. Like, like, be freaked out, that's fine. But the minute that you lose that connection to the planchette, you are basically leaving it open right because right. the planchette is on the board you're not touching it yeah i've definitely heard some variations on the rules um i even read one somewhere where it said that you should never play in a graveyard like specifically never play in a graveyard so i thought that was interesting i didn't include it because that's not like a, a common rule that i saw throughout my research but with what you're saying yeah there definitely are some variations and things just do your research. If you want to try it, 
do your research and make sure you follow the rules because when it comes to anything divination wise there are certain rules that you need to know for your safety for right. your safety and and that's kind of the thing too even though like we totally laughed and joked and like I made a thing out of it I really do believe in spirit I really truly do believe in the spirit realm i believe in things that cannot be explained by logic or science ghosts and spirits and just all kinds of entities i really truly believe in that so do i i stand behind what i said when i said that i don't think we just should be demonized i think quite as severely as it is because i do at the end of the day even though i believe in it and it does unsettle me greatly and it does like scare me i've never played with one i don't think i ever will i have no desire for that but uh i just see it as a tool yeah you know what i'm saying i I see it as being in the category of it it falls upon the person using it what their intentions are and if they're going to use it correctly or not i think that is the ultimate factor that will determine if you're going to have like a really okay time or a really like not fucking okay time like i feel like there's just that line you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I believe in the shit. I know some of you listening may be skeptics, and that's fine. We're not here to change your mind. I'm just saying me personally, <laughs> I am not fucking with it. Well, one thing for the demonization that I can say, and I know this, I practiced many, many years in Wicca right. witchcraft. Right. And the Hollywood, man, it's Hollywood because... You think of all the years that people go see movies and they, you know, they go back and they share those movies and this, that, and the third. Always pay attention to those movies that are like, oh, witch, 666, Ouija board, blah, 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 you know. And Which is like 80% of horror movies. <laughs> right, right. But there is a stigma that comes with those certain things and those stigmas are perpetuated by people who don't believe in them. Right, right. So that's that's a where, good that's a good point actually. That's where the demonization comes from because you know, say for instance, you have your regular regular person and they all of a sudden never seen a horror movie and they go and they see this 666 Satan's witch Ouija da 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 da, da horror movie, that is really going to like go Oh, oh, well, that's what that stuff is about. I'm good. If someone's impressionable, then that will very much be the case. And you do see that a lot, unfortunately. I don't know. I just I just thought it was really cool. I've always been fascinated with Ouija boards. Um, I love the aesthetic. Again, would never fucking play with one. Don't I don't I just can't I just can't do it. I think they're beautiful, but, you know, I got to protect my energy and my peace. I'm good. Right, right, right. Like tread carefully. Uh, And something interesting that I saw, too, and I will end the episode on this note, but just to kind of give, I guess, a little bit of gas to the skeptical side of things, something that I saw in my research with the Ouija board being explained by science, it says that it's basically all in your subconscious, Mm -hmm. that when you have a overwhelming, like, basically, it boils down to people will see what they so desperately want to see and they will hear what they so desperately want to hear. So when you have someone with a longing and a treasured outcome of doing something like this, then that will combine with the physical medium, AKA the spirit board. And then you will go through something called the ideomotor effect. 
Yeah. Which that is defined as a psychological phenomenon where a subject makes motions and movements subconsciously without realizing it in the conscious mind. Yeah. So that's like an explanation, too. It's like basically that's saying that your subconscious is just doing all of it. And I I could believe that to be true, too. Like as much as I also believe in the paranormal side of it, I can look at something like that and just be like, you know, yeah, that that makes some sense. That makes a little bit of sense. I, I mean, can see both sides of it. I still believe in spirit too much, though. So, you know, same. that's me. But Totally same. So it's the same thing when you're dealing with a pendulum. So like... You've seen the practice done. Right. But that also opens up the chance for that, how do you say it, ideomotor? Yeah, ideomotor. Yeah. Okay, so it also opens up the chance for that because if you have even your elbow on something stationary and you think that your arm is nice and stiff and still, your body can still create those yeah. swaying motions. Those small movements that you won't detect in your conscious mind. Like, it, it's fascinating. It's, it's really it's, it's really insane. fascinating. And I guess if we wanted to go further, you could say that our brain doing, like, doing things like that in itself is kind of fucking spooky. It is spooky. Because <laughs> your body's not connected to your brain at that point. Right. So... This episode was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed the spooky vibes. Thanks for hanging out with us and and talking about some haunted cardboard. We greatly appreciate it. (laughs) The evil stationery. The evil stationery. And if you would like to follow me and Ray and all of our weird... Well, great news. You totally can. Find us on Facebook at Go report a true crime podcast on Instagram and go report podcast and Patreon. Go report podcast. And until next time, bye. You pull out a fucking Ouija board, I'm going fucking home. Are you afraid? You shot me. You blessed me.